Well, thank you for that uh, rich prayer, Pastor Andrew. Uh, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, I want to introduce a few brothers and sisters who are visiting here for the first time. I apologize if I miss your name. Um, let me first mention there's a Kelly Lee joining us here. If Kelly can raise your hand for us, please. Where are you located? It's over there. And also we have uh, Joe O. Joe, is that you next, Sir Kelly? Okay. Thank you. And uh, Joseph Brockman. Joseph, I think I met, yes, next is uh, our brother Paul Choi. And then I believe Stefan and Yumi are sitting together with uh, parents. If you can raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I think that's it for now. Again, I apologize if I didn't mention your name. Let's give everyone a warm, warm welcome. grateful always that you can join us for worship. Uh, so uh, today we will be concluding our series in the doctrines of grace. It is a doctrinal series, so at times it kind of felt probably a little, little heavy, a little heady, but uh, I promise we'll, we'll move on from this series soon and we'll jump back into our usual sort of narrative and um, that way, I think it'll, it'll help all of us to stay more engaged. But I, I, like I said, this, this kind of series is also very important because it anchors us in, in God's truth. And so I, I really hope that uh, God has used it to benefit you each, okay? Uh, the Doctrine of Grace are also known as uh, Tulip. And so let me thank, as we begin, our sister Diana for preparing the beautiful tulips for us. They are, they are tulips, believe it or not. You know, I didn't know tulips can look that way, but um, she's sort of like, you know, manipulated and using her artistic gifts, and, and there we have these lovely tulips. And so thank you, Diana, for doing that. Uh, I think some of you probably missed the last several weeks. Is this working? Oh, you know what? Sorry, my bad. I'm supposed to read scripture for us first, right? So let me do that. Scripture comes from Philippians chapter 1. So that, they were right, I was wrong. Chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. Uh, let's hear God's word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen? All right. Now we're back on track. <laughs> okay. So... I have some slides, uh, just kind of jog our memory here. Five points of Arminianism are the points we reject as a church. They were presented to 
the church sometime in 16th century by the followers of Jacob Arminius, we said, and, and the church responded with the five points of Calvinism, which we embrace, and so they're conflicting uh, in what they say, okay? Uh, we spent four Sundays already. Today's the fifth Sunday, and so we'll be concluding our series. We'll be covering the perseverance of the saints. And my, my hope, my prayer is that you will find great comfort and rest in your sovereign God, your precious Savior, uh, for he is the one who began a good work in you and promises to uh, complete the work right, of grace. And so there's much to be thankful for. Uh, now, at the risk of uh, boring you to death, I wanted to actually start with looking at our confessions, okay? Uh, we, as a church, we subscribe to what's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, not too long ago, I did a series on our core values, remember? And one of our core values is that we are a confessional church. Okay, that may not mean anything to you, but it's very important, right, for you to know that because that basically means that we don't make stuff up as we go, okay? Uh, we're not you know, this overly imaginative people where just because we feel like this is the right thing to teach, we teach it. No, no, we, we root all of our preaching and teaching, uh, yes, in the very words of God primarily, but in the confessions of the church, right? Uh, acknowledging that God is the one who has actively taught his people throughout the centuries. Okay, that's important for you to know, right? That means, you know, um, we're not some kind of cult who kind of, again, depends our, and relies upon our own, you know, creative minds, but we, we trust in God's word and what he has taught throughout the centuries. And so, confession, right? Uh, confession of faith. Uh, there's a section that explains to us what perseverance of the saints means, okay? The doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And so I'm gonna read three paragraphs for us. I'll try to get out of the way here. Can you, can you read this? Divisible? If it's not, Raise your hand, and I'll have you sit right in, right in front here. Okay. <laughs> All right, there you go. They, whom God has accepted in his beloved. So I want you to notice, first of all, that there is going to be mention of God the Father, and then the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all working together to persevere his people. Okay, so first you have they, that refers to God's chosen, God's elect, that we've been talking about, whom God the Father has accepted in his Son, beloved, okay, it's Jesus Christ, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. So you've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working together, not, not competing against each other, but they're working in sync. So they can not, neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Very straightforward, very clear, I hope very helpful. And uh, here's some teaching points to consider. I'll try to, be, uh, I'll, I'll try to highlight at some point all of them uh, during the message today. But genuine believers, accent on genuine. We're not talking about just people who, who claim to be believers, but genuine believers, right, God's chosen, cannot lose their salvation, right? impossible, right, given this reality. Genuine believers will and they must persevere till the end in order to be saved, as God's word will tell us a little later. Those who don't persevere till the end show that they've never possessed genuine saving faith, 
okay? People who are not genuine believers may still show signs of conversion, which I'll touch upon a little later, uh, demonstrating that from Scripture itself, okay? Second paragraph. This, this perseverance of the saints, this doctrine depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability. Here's the word of the day, right? Immutability. That means this unchanging nature of God. It does not, does not change. We are the ones who are fickle. We are the ones who always change our minds. You know, weather's a bit muggy. You know, we don't feel very good. Uh, depending on the food we eat, our mood changes. God is unchanging. He is not fickle. He's dependable. He's reliable. We can trust him, therefore, right? We, on the other hand, we're not that trustworthy, let's be honest. Uh, so there's that. Of the decree of election, so this doctrine depends upon God's unchanging nature and flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God, the Father again, here's the Father, upon the efficacy or effectiveness of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, there's, there's the Son again, and the binding of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit again, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the seed of God, the Word of God within them, the nature of the covenant of grace. And so teaching points there, and to be very clear, our perseverance does not depend upon ultimately our free will, but upon God's sovereign will. And the salvation of God's people are secured by his hand. It's, it's secured by himself. He is the one who guarantees it. Last paragraph, okay, and then I'll move on to scripture. Nevertheless, they may, that's uh, genuine believers, okay, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, the, the, means, the means of grace, the means of preservation, usually uh, refer to God's word, prayer, the sacraments, fellowship of believers. If you neglect these things, guess what? Right? If COVID hits and you neglect all those things, guess what? You're gonna struggle, right? You're gonna, you might feel like you're not a Christian anymore. You will struggle. Uh, if you neglect these means, you fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their grace and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Key word, they're temporal. Okay? Not permanent, temporary. So some teaching points that are important. It's possible for genuine believers to experience a temporary backsliding due to sin, okay? We've all seen it through COVID. Sorry to bring it up again, but just that's the most recent example I can think of, okay? God in his fatherly love and care will chastise and discipline his children so that they return to him and not be lost forever. And that's the good news, that God promises to do that kind of work, thankfully. And so going to scripture now, I hope, that, I hope that's helpful. Again, we're a confessional church. Right? We don't make stuff up. This stuff's been believed for many, many, many years, centuries. Why isn't this thing working, Xiong? Uh-oh. Can you guys do that for me? All right, here we go. Uh, some biblical support. Uh, but first point I want to highlight is that genuine believers will, not only will, but they must persevere till the end, according to Scripture. And those who don't persevere till the end 
show that they've never possessed genuine saving faith, okay? So um, some, some passages to consider, Mark 13, 13. You will be hated by, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, right? The one who endures till the end. I'm talking about the one who clings to Jesus till the very end will be saved, okay? Uh, it's important to start well, but it's more important that you finish well in life, okay? Just keep that in mind. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, and so the list of sins there that we're all familiar with. Last sentence, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? And that, that can simply, you should translate that as, or interpret that as, those who persist in these things, those who are unrepentant, and they, they continue to, to live in this sin, right? That's, those are the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? Because we all know that we're all guilty. Everyone is guilty to some degree. We have all committed at least a few of these sins in our lifetime, right? So it's talking about those who persist in these sins, okay? First John chapter two, one more. It's working now. First John chapter two. They went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, they were, they were like these Christian disciples that were with us, and they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, they wouldn't have departed from the faith. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. They strayed and they remain strayed. Now, is there hope that they would return? Yes, but just generally speaking, is, you know, once, once a person leaves the parts, I mean, it's a sign that maybe they were not of the fold to begin with. I, you know, I, I was reminded of uh, a brother, because you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is these doctrines can become very abused. You, know, you, you hear this kind of teaching and you think, oh, okay, that means, that means I can just kind of live however way I want, and, and God's gonna, God promised that he'll like, secure my salvation, so what does it matter what I do, right? No, that's, that's very faulty thinking. And so, like, there was a brother in college, I remember, he was, like, seeping around with his girlfriend and, you know, uh, in one, one of the conversations, because he, he's also heard this kind of teaching before, maybe from his church, and he's like, well, one saved, always saved, right? One saved, always saved, right? And uh, I didn't like the tone. <laughs> I didn't think he had the right heart there, you know? So I, I you know, it's kind of, I was trying to like persuade him that that's not the right way to think. And it, it wasn't, you know. Uh, as Christians, we should never say or think as like we're blatantly committing sin, as we're unrepentant, as we're pers persisting in, in these kinds of sins. Well, once saved, always saved, right? <laughs> you try to justify what you're doing and, and thinking that, oh, you know, it doesn't matter because God's gonna, you know, he, he promised to save me anyway. So no, no. God's word does not allow us to operate with that kind of thinking. I'm going to be saved no matter what I do. No. That kind of thinking is utterly inconsistent with the mind of Christ. And that, the, mind of, the mind of a Christian ought not to, uh, to, to think such thoughts. You know, our practical obedience to God's law, it may not serve as the foundation or basis for our salvation, but 
Our, our obedience, our humble, faithful obedience, it is meant to serve as this observable evidence, or evidence that God's grace is truly at work in us. Okay, and, and so you shouldn't be going around saying, well, once saved, always saved. I can do whatever I want to. No. The more you say that, <laughs> the more it becomes evident that maybe you're not actually a Christian to begin with, you know? Because again, you don't, have, you don't possess the mind of Christ. Secondly, people who are not genuine believers may still show signs of conversion. Right? Think about that one. Right? I mean, very easy example would be Judas Iscariot. Right? Uh, remember, Jesus was sitting with his, his 12 and he said, one of you will betray me. <laughs> and they're all confused because what? They, they didn't know possibly one of, the, their, of their own could betray Christ. Why? Because all of them showed signs of conversion. All of them looked and talked and uh, they, they were like, how, how can any of us betray you? you know? they, were, they were like Jesus' close disciples. And so every, every single one of them possessed these signs of conversion. That's why there's so much confusion. Like, who, 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 who? I don't know. I don't know. It ended up being Judas, you see. Matthew chapter 7, 22, 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do my, many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, can you imagine possessing these kinds of signs, like that you had the power to actually cast out demons and prophesy in the name of Christ? And, and it turns out that actually you're not a true believer? I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's an amazing passage. But again, it proves the point that it's possible, at least. It's possible that one possesses these signs and not be really a genuine believer, okay? And then Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Some hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. I mean, how many times have you been to a college retreat in your lifetime and there's so much joy that fills the room, right? So, so much excitement. And then a year or two later, right, your friend is completely off the map, <laughs> completely left the faith, right? How many times? They graduated, it's like no interest whatsoever. They're chasing something else. Right? So initially there's, the, there's these signs of conversion, joy, right? Excitement, passion that colleges are known for, but there's no root, there's no root, and so they don't endure for too long. When trouble comes, they fall away. Uh, just a thought I had as I was contemplating these things. I, I want to encourage you all never to play detective. In other words, don't be like looking around the room or scoping the church and saying, hmm, I wonder who's truly a genuine believer or not. You know, I wonder, I wonder who really is God's elect, you know, don't, don't do that, right? That's really obnoxious, it's annoying, it's actually very arrogant, right, if you kind of fall into that trap, right? I experimented it, honestly, when I was a younger believer, but then, you know, it's like, I had to live <laughs> with the fact that the secret things belong to the Lord, right? That's none of our business, none of our business, and so... 
as a pastor, and I think as, as, every, as any Christian, uh, you, you should look at the church, for instance, and this is what I do. I assume that everyone who desires to be part of God's church and confesses faith, okay, that they are believers in Christ. That's my assumption. And I assume that until they deliberately walk away from the faith. That's my business, okay? That's, but this stuff here that we're talking about, you know, who, who's a genuine believer, that's God's business. Okay? I entrust that to God. I, I, I look at the, your children that way as well. And you have a lot of young families. You're, you're pumping out a lot of children. All right, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse my language. Excuse my language. I, sh- I shouldn't speak that way. Uh, but so many, so many children, right? I mean, come on, can you slow down a little bit? Um, I'm just kidding. But when I look at your children, I mean, there's a reason why we call them covenant children, okay? They're part of the covenant family of God. I assume that all of our covenant children are actually believers until they deliberately choose to walk away from the faith, you see, okay? You know, Uh, so I think that's a healthy healthy outlook to adopt, okay? Otherwise, you'll, you'll be this very judgmental, you know, ungracious Christian, always looking around with suspicious eyes. Don't do that. It's annoying. (laughs) Uh, Point three, our perseverance does not ultimately depend on our free will, but upon God's sovereign will. Very straightforward, right? Uh, I think I read this passage twice already during our series. I'm going to do it again because I like it so much, right? John chapter 10, verse 26 to 30, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. Do you realize every time I preach, this is one thing I'm thinking, like as, as God's word is preached, my, my belief is that God's sheep will hear his voice. You will respond to God's word. You will recognize his voice. It's such an important passage. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Think about that imagery. I mean, it's meant to offer us really deep comfort. Father and the Son are one. No one who are his, can be snatched out of their hand. There's no one greater than the Father, it says. I mean, that means Satan can't, even with his, all his trickery, all his deception, right? He, he cannot snatch any of God's people out of God's hand, no one, right? Anyone stronger than Satan? Right? You think you can do it? No, that, that means our salvation is secure, right? Philippians chapter one, we just read this earlier. One of my favorite passages as well. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a comforting passage. Why do you live with such so much worry and anxiety if these things are true, you see? For it's possible for genuine believers to experience a temporary 
backsliding due to sin. And God, in his fatherly care, will chastise and discipline his children so that they return to him and not be lost forever. Right? If they're genuine, right? COVID or no COVID, you know, whatever cultural crisis there may be or family crisis they may be, you know, or lifestyle, whatever, like maybe you hit midlife and you're just really struggling. Guess what? If you're God's genuine child, if he's adopted you truly, then he will chastise you. He will bring you back, right? Even if it means having you go through some trial, he will bring you back to him. He promises that he will. Think about the life of David. He committed a terrible, terrible sin. And if you murder someone, right? I mean, this guy, you know, imagine how many enemies he must have had in his lifetime. And yet, he returned to the Lord because God initiated, right? God, he sent a prophet to speak to him, to rebuke David, and through that means of grace, David was brought back, right? He repented of his sin. There was disobedient Jonah. God told him to go this way, Jonah. Go this way. And then Jonah, what does he do? He goes the opposite direction. Like, literally, <laughs> the exact opposite direction. And so God, what does God do? In his grace, God sends this big fish, probably a whale, right? Who knows? Some big monster swallows him up, and that's sort of like a rebuke, correction. And maybe Jonah even died. Some scholars think Jonah even died. <laughs> but then God resurrected him, and, and uh, you know, after that, Jonah, he obeyed, right? He followed eventually. And we know he did because he's the one who likely wrote the book. <laughs> he wrote the story so we can read it and, and give, give God praise for the work he's, did, he's done. Uh, and the Apostle Peter, of course, I mean, not much to say there. Just, he, he was also very confused at one point, and, and God, by his grace, brought him back. So there, there can be these temporary setbacks that we all experience. And I've, had, I have, I've had my... My share of setbacks as well. I mean, I'm 50, what? I'm 51. Uh, I mean, you know, probably like a handful of bad setbacks, and God had to bring me back, right? And who knows how many more? Hopefully no more, but I'm sure it's true for all of you as well. Here's a, <clears throat> a helpful excerpt from one of the authors I've been mentioning, Lorraine Bettner. Uh, there's a section in his book, that has a subheading, the Arminian sense of security. And the point is that if you really believe in uh, the Arminian position, so if you reject Calvinism, for instance, if you reject Tulip, then this is what you're left with, okay? You'll have no security. You'll always be anxious. You'll always be concerned. You'll always have to depend on your own goodness in some way, your own performance, and it's gonna be a very tiring, tiring existence, okay? So you know, here's one thing, something to think about. A consistent Arminian with his doctrines of free will and of falling from grace can never in this life be certain of, the, certain of his eternal salvation. He may indeed have the assurance of his present salvation because he's doing well. He's got, got off a, a retreat, has a, on a spiritual high, but he can have only a hope, only a hope, no assurance of his final salvation. He may regard his final salvation as highly probable, but he cannot know it as a certainty. He has seen many of his fellow Christians backslide and perish after making a good start. Why may not he do the same thing? Okay. 
You know, we as Reformed Christians, we, we, uh, are, we love the tulip, right? Our favorite flower is the tulip, amen? Right? No? I, I sometimes, I've joked around with people in the past, you know, the Armenians' favorite flower is like, guess what? Guess what it is? It's the forget-me-not. Because they're always standing around worrying like, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me. He, that's sort of their existence. Right? They're always worrying, they're concerned. You know? Does God really love me? Right? It's supposed to be funny. Supposed to be a joke. Right? I guess it's not. Okay, I move on. Here's the next uh, continuing with Lauren Bettner. And does not the logic of the Arminian system tell us that the wise thing for the Christian to do is to die as soon as possible and thus confirm the inheritance which to him is of infinite value? And do you have the fact that so many have fallen away? Is it worthwhile for him to remain here and risk his eternal salvation for the sake of a little more life in this world? And so the, the, the logic goes, if it's really up to us in the end, like based on our performance, how well we do, uh, how hard we cling to that lifesaver that Jesus has thrown us, is it more sensible to just want to die early? So maybe right after the, the major conference that you've attended, right? or the retreat, like when, when you're on this spiritual high, like isn't that the point where you wish someone would strike you dead, maybe get hit by a car, and then that would at least secure your eternal salvation? You know, there's nothing wrong for Christians, like, what, what, if, like if I say, I really, I prefer to die and be with Christ, you know? There's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, what's the reason behind that? You know, if, if you're wanting to be with Christ, to die and be with Christ, then great, but is it, you know, is your wish for dying early because you're afraid <laughs> that you're going to lose your salvation if you don't die now? I mean, that's ridiculous, right? So that, this is what it's touching upon. Uh, I like this perspective much better. This is how we should all be thinking, okay? This is the, the well-known Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, if you're on board the ship of salvation, you may encounter a tempest of sin that will knock you off your feet, but God's grace will never let you be washed overboard. He will cause you to persevere to the end. Right? Much healthier biblical perspective. That, that's really trusting in your Savior. Now, you can close the slides. I'm, I'm done with the slides. Uh, no more slides for the next year, okay, for me. This doesn't mean that it's okay for us to live recklessly without any regard to God's word, like I said earlier, okay? Uh, I mean, the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 writes, what shall we say then? <clears throat> shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, right? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That, that's the Christian mindset. That's, that's the mind of Christ, right? That, that's how the Holy Spirit ministers to us and causes us to, you know, uh, have these more God-honoring thoughts, you see, right? And so in closing, let me offer you two ways or two practical ways uh, that we are called to respond to such a teaching, okay? Number one, brothers, sisters, we should faithfully live unto the Lord making our calling and election sure. That's not my words. This is straight from the Bible. 2 Peter 1, verse 10 says, Therefore, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Right? For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. And when it says that you should practice these qualities, 
It's referring to what's been mentioned earlier in that same chapter, verse 5 and 7. Let me just, let me, let me give you an idea what those qualities are, okay? It says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, okay? And virtue with knowledge, okay? Knowledge, that means everyone get a hold of the podcast episode that was just released, okay? You guys see that? Got to fill your mind with knowledge too, like good knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. These, these qualities. It says, if, for if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So what this basically saying is that if you ignore God's word and you choose to live according to your own sinful desires, guess what? You will have less assurance in your life. You will always doubt. You'll be uncertain. You'll be ineffective as a result, unproductive. At best, you'll become a weak and confused Christian. And at worst, it'll show maybe that you weren't even a genuine Christian to begin with. So don't go down that road. Don't neglect the means of grace, don't neglect God's word, don't neglect the fellowship of believers just because there's some threat out there, right? Obey the Lord. Secondly, we should work hard at persevering, right? There is work that we're called to do, but we should work hard knowing that it is God who supplies us with the strength to persevere. Again, these are not my words, okay, straight from Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So you, you may think if I just stop there, like work out your own salvation. Look, so we gotta, we gotta do all the work. No, it says work out your own salvation, right? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we, yeah, we are working. We're not robots. We're actually called to engage in life and do the hard lifting, yes, but who is it that supplies us with the strength, with the grace that enables to work? It's God. God is underneath it all, is the point. Then 1 Corinthians 15, 10, last one. But by grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked Harder than any of them, the Apostle Paul says. So it was not I, <laughs> I love it, but the grace of God that is with me. I worked harder than any of them, but it is not I. It was the grace of God. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Some of you may have uh, fallen in love with the poem. I think it's titled like The Footprints in the Sand. And I'm, I'm not knocking the poem, right, for those of you who have it plastered on your walls at home, okay? I'm not knocking the poem. I like the poem, okay? Footprints in the sand. If you don't know that, what that is, basically, it's a picture with these two pairs of footprints in the sand walking, walking, and all of a sudden, there's a, only one pair walking, and then the, the guy's like, oh, Lord, how could you abandon me when I was, like, in such a difficult season of my life? How could you you know, bail on me. Why did you stop walking with me? And then God responds with, no, it wasn't that I was not walking with you anymore. It was that I was carrying you from that point on to the end. See, and It's supposed to be very heartwarming. And it is. It's like when I first read that, I was like, oh, that's so sweet. You know, 
I could be very sentimental too. Um, but my point this morning is, it is the, the Christian life, right? The Christian teaching or the doctrine that perseverance in the saints, it, it gives us an even better picture because it tells us that God actually, he is the one who carries us from beginning to end, right? There is no point in which he drops us. Uh, our lives are utterly dependent upon him. And so why, why do we worry so much, right? uh, Don't you know right, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion? So let's continue to trust in his grace. Amen? Right. Let me pray. Let me pray for us, and then I'm gonna uh, have the worship team lead us in a song, and after that, I'll invite you to the table. Let's pray. Dear